Okay. Let's get started lah. Okay. So today, uh, I think I, I, I want to do this is to keep on the check on my goals as well as uh, some of the projects I'm doing. Uh. Right. And casual conversation, then pick, pick up the launch bike, you know, launching stuff, uh, start talking again. Yeah, it's so, been a while. <laughs> very long already, very long already. I even redo the website already. Uh-huh. The, yeah, I put the Launchpad website back as a static site. So I uh, use a static generator. So I don't see. need WordPress anymore. Then uh, it's all text file. Okay. Actually, after, after, after using the static site generator, right? Hmm. I kind of, not say I hate WordPress, but uh, WordPress seems to be very clunky. Yeah, um, but also like the purpose of WordPress is very different from a static site generator. Mm. Yeah, it's grown to be a lot more than just you know a blog platform. It's a uh, CMS, uh. But right now, trending yeah. a headless yeah. CMS. Yeah, but again, <laughs> it, it really depends on what your goal is or what you need the CMS for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a, a lot of hacks for uh, headless CMS. Also, you know that you used to do uh, a hack on a WordPress site where you try to put some parts of uh, dyma- dynamic content in. Yeah. So, like, yeah. so right now, it's much easier to do with the headless CMS uh, concept because WordPress themselves also uh, allows this with their all their APIs and whatever nonsense. I see. Okay. Yeah. Okay, let's get started. So anyway, today I want to share a, a book uh, that I was reading. It's called Ultra Learning. So uh, I read about this book. Uh, there are several parts to... There, it has nine principles I wouldn't want to go through. Basically, is uh, a, a few key things that I picked out is uh, when it comes to... A, when you want to go into a topic, right? You go straight into the problem, right? Okay. Go straight. Then, of course, you need to have a few strategy or techniques to... Uh, Re- retain uh, the, the knowledge right so maybe after uh, after you read a book maybe you do a summary on a piece of paper and you try to recall it uh, on your own first right? right so that's the recording part then uh, after that you maybe want to do a small flashcard test this kind to remember I think this kind of concept usually applies to math then uh, things are very mm, can be languages as well so this book I learned quite a few things uh, I think the 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 thing here that I want to say is why I start to read this book right, is because you know I was doing the pair programming with you, then I drop mm-hmm. off, then I come back on, then I drop off again. Then I thought sometimes uh, when I encounter programming uh, questions, uh, I tend to drop off. Or that is number one. I tend to drop off. Or second thing is when I copy and paste <laughs> from Stack Overflow, right? Yeah, I don't really learn uh, even though. The objective there is to like, you need to read through how, how people write the code then how it works, right? For me, sometimes I tend to be lazy. I, I, I go and once I copy and it works, oh, boom, then don't care already. Actually, right. I don't even know how, why it works. Uh. Then, uh, so right. that is uh, not good. Uh. Then I went to read the book to see how I can uh, improve on it. So there are some, uh, they even talk about programming, like uh, in fact, tackle the hard questions, then also un understand the fundamentals, then uh, try to think about it, uh, which is quite cool. Oh, are you reading like any books? Uh, right now? No. Well, the last book I read was about strategy, like good strategy, bad strategy. I can't remember the name of it. Mm. Um, 
I was using Audible, so I don't know if that counts as reading, but yes. Oh, <laughs> uh, I I was uh, during uh, there was a period where I used a lot of uh not Audible. I was uh, using the NLB app. It's called Libby. Oh, okay, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah I heard about it. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that one allows you to have uh, ebook. Then, yeah. uh, actually, that one I. Uh, speed through a lot of ebooks, eh? like set it to 1.25, 1.5. But uh, <laughs> I feel, uh, so when I tell people, oh, I read this book, then I pick up some concept. But I, I think that reading a book, uh, I'm able to, mm, I don't know, retain more uh, compared right. to just uh, lis- listening. So I think it's actually like the way that I view these books is a bit different um, in that I would reread a book a few times during different points of my um like learning journey right mm. so there's this one particular book um i cannot remember the name of it right now but it's about uh, different coding practices and i've reread it maybe like three or four times over the years the first mm. time i read it i picked up some of the concepts and then i went ahead and i tried to apply them or i did certain things right and then maybe about a year later when i reread it um i started to understand more because i had more practice mm. yeah. so i after I discovered that that was something that um, made me learn better, right? Even if I listen to a book or if I read a book, uh, I tend to revisit it again, especially if it's something that is very dense on um, how do you do things? How do you mm. apply processes? How do you apply techniques? Yeah. I got a friend very hardcore, uh, mm. a friend, a colleague. So he he's very interested into all this, like uh, how to learn better, how to pick up the knowledge faster, right? Yeah. Uh, what he does is he read a book and listen to a book at the same time. So for example, Ooh. let's say uh, let's say the ultra learning. Ultra right. learning has an audio book. It also right. has a physical book, right? So yep. he purchased uh, from Amazon too. Then he start at the same time <laughs> so that he can see and he can listen. I also do that. <laughs> oh, you also do that? Yeah. So <laughs> that one is hardcore. <laughs> uh, actually, like, the reason why I do it is because it allows me to absorb faster. Um, so if you listen, you sometimes you might drift off. But mm. if you read, you also will sometimes start to skim, right? But mm. because like, you have the audiobook and you're reading the text in front of you, you can, at certain points, catch things. Mm. And it's, it's almost like more... Um, you absorb better, I find. Oh. Yeah. But that's specifically me. But that's also because I'm very used to doing that for pocket articles because I save a lot of, um, like, say, medium articles and stuff. And then mm. I use the audio to play it back, but I also read it at the same time because it's easier for me to absorb. So, um, talking about books, right? Hey, today you sent me an article about the the productivity one. Uh, the one is for the Spotify one, is it? Is it related oh, to what you uh, want to share? Well, no, not really. So, this one is more of a um, a way a way to track the metrics of your product teams, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And uh, it's an interesting article because it talks about not just tracking the metrics, the usual metrics, which is like, you know, your um, page load times or uptime and all of those, but more of like how your team is delivering the cadence, the velocity, and also how happy they are. Mm. So I thought it was a very interesting way to break down um, basically the the more, I guess, happiness or HR-related side of your team into trackable OKRs and metrics. I just happened to come across it today because my team and I were talking about it and our uh, director of engineering um, brought this up as one of the metrics that we want to set as a engineering team. So yeah, it was was 
quite interesting to read. I skimmed through it. I thought it's quite quite cool that Shopify is using uh what what do they oh squads. They call them squads. So it's like commando, right? A team of seven or team of three like that. Um yeah, but also squads can be applied in different verticals essentially, mm-hmm. rather than um, you know, usually we're broken up into the front end team, the back end team, and you know, whatever other tech part of it. But when you do squads, you always have kind of like a self-contained team that can uh do a part of the vertical of your product. Uh Okay, then the cell is broken into squads as well, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm. And uh, with Ali, slightly different, right? Mm. They are cross-functional. Pool, so right? yeah, one pool. Yes. Mm. So the practical productivity uh, that you want to talk about is the oh yeah. Yeah, so that's actually been something that I've been um, oh. kind of practicing for quite a long time, right? Like okay, okay. processes of how do you get an uh, idea from, or rather how do you get a startup from idea to uh, implementation as quickly as possible, mm-hmm. uh, especially with SHIP. So like um, one thing that I've been focusing on right now is how do you kind of put in these processes so that you're productive as a very small team, but you also have a very stable, um, let's say, product build. Mm. Right. Yeah, because too much processes at the start will kill the momentum that you have. But mm. also, if you really like, you know, move fast, break things, you will struggle a lot when you transition from C to Series A or even Series A to Series B. Uh, and that's Te- kind of what we've seen with a lot of startups. Yeah. Yeah, technical debt, right? But actually, uh, my biggest concern is uh, uh, like what you mentioned the first one. That means the process affecting the speed. Mm, right. So yeah. for example, let's say both of us are doing a, a project or building a product. It's more yeah. of, hey, Chris, let's do, let's add a button here. Boom, let's go. Mm. But if there's a process, right, that means I need to prove to you adding a button here uh, brings an impact, then that then it can go. Correct. So don't know how it will affect the you know speed. Yeah, and that's kind of like the the explanation for impact, right? Is that intuitively we know that there's an impact. Mm. But does it matter whether or not we track it or not at this point? Doesn't matter. Uh, the only okay. point where it does matter is if you have trouble prioritizing, and that's mm. where we turn the conversation. Okay, we know that now we need to track impact and we need to justify impact. Then it gets rid of the problem of prioritization. But before you have a prioritization problem where it's very clear what you need to do, there's no mm. need to justify with impact. And that's kind of like to me the idea of the practical productivity playbook because mm-hmm. you will have all these different tools to answer different kinds of problems that you will meet at different points in your journey um, and you need you don't need to apply the whole playbook right at the start oh. kind of like, there's no point doing such high level documentation at the start mm. but once you hit the point where you're having trouble answering a particular question like okay what's the next thing that the product team works on given that we have already shipped then you start to bring in more parts of the playbook at the point where it makes sense. So that's kind of why, like, specifically it's practical productivity rather than, you know, something that applies to everyone. There's, yeah, there's no... there's no. Are, are you writing one. the playbook? Or do you yeah. have a small segment to, to share? Because, uh, yeah, because, you know, um, hard to relate. Uh, so, like, yes. use case and share, easier to understand. Agreed. Yeah. So actually, it's been something that I've been applying to the different clients that I've been working with over time, right? And mm. I actually have this Notion document. Um, I'll share it with you. Some. I, I can't remember if I shared it with you before, but um, that one's very much specifically focused on the 
product process, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and my goal there was to turn the need for user stories and all of this wireframes right, into a single uh, wire flow document, which I think I've shared the technique with you before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that you share with me, the mm. product, uh, how will it, the product requirement is actually inbuilt together with the, kind of like integrated together with the de- design, right? So that, right. that every use case uh, is highlighted together with design. That, that you share with me before. Yeah. yeah. So that's actually the first step of it, where mm. it, you try and simplify, because we think very visually, especially when you're trying to describe ideas. Mm. And once you reach the point where you're doing wireframes, right, um, mm. the gap there is that if you don't do user stories to accompany the wireframes, you tend to miss out a lot of the nuances in between the error states, the possible mm. actions, and whether or not you've covered all the different flows. So mm. that's the first step where I said like, hey, we think visually why don't we add flowcharts to these visual wireframes and cover all the different parts of it? So that's the first part of the product process. The second part to that is when you're developing with a team, right? Um, especially an engineering team, which may not be that experienced, how much documentation and how strict do you want your code review process to be? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's the part that I'm working on right now. And it's kind of a case where um, once uh, those two pieces come together, it becomes messy to maintain your documentation. But according to like what I've put together at least, um, there is a nice in-between where um, with the wireframes as the documentation, you need to submit your code so that it meets that. And in fact, at some point, I would say that you will need tests that will cover what you have spec'd out in your product. But again, it really depends on the team and it depends on your timeline. So do, do, do you think, um, so yes, team, right? So you were talking yeah. about team. I just wanted to ask for your, uh, when you talk about engineering team, mm. um, in terms of code review, do you yeah. see, a, or at least in your planning, do you see a difference between a remote and the team being your team, right? So that means under one organization, mm. uh, because it's different, right? Because if the tech guys are, under the organization, they have a different, sort of like a different responsibility with uh, remote, uh, which is outsourced and all. So how then, yeah. Right. So I want to hear your thoughts again on so, this because you do too, right? You, yes, you have experience right. of two. Yeah. yeah. So I would say absolutely not. That they should be treated exactly the same. Mm-hmm. The only difference in the process between a remote team and your internal team is whether or not they are involved in the iteration process. And it also really depends on the team that you're working with remotely, right? If they are much more experienced, if they are able to um, give very valuable input on the technical uh, aspects of it, technical decisions, they should be involved. But Mm. given that, let's just say we have the assumption that they are very junior developers, uh, I will put them through exactly the same new process as I would with an internal team. And in fact, I would say it's even more important that you as a tech lead or you have a person who is a capable tech lead that will ensure that those standards are followed so that when you do hand over to an internal team or you might need to switch to a different remote team, everything follows the same rule book. And I found it super helpful because um, the team that I work with in India often right, on different projects has learned my processes. <laughs> so well that every time they assign a new person to me, right, they already know what I, uh, I'm i going to ask them in terms of like their code submissions. When they assign a new person to you, um, because they know the way that you work, uh, yeah. do you think their onboarding time shortens? Or, yeah. Yeah. The yeah. onboarding time shortens. Yeah. Uh, how about the uh, engineers being 
uh, taking up. So 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 I was I was uh, I have this encounter. So for example, uh, let's say you are building a, a simple app, and halfway through, engineer A have something some personal matters. He is from an agency and he needs to leave. Engineer B comes on in, and um, so this onboarding time, uh, do you face any uh, challenges or do you think that uh, because they know how you work, right? So it's like within a week, it's up and running. Yeah. Absolutely. So you will always have a point of time where you need to get them on board and you need to mm. um, kind of give them time to understand right, mm. the code base. So all I've done is shorten the amount of time that that needs because I'm very clear um, what I expected. And if I looked at the code, I completely understand it because it's following the standards that I put in place. Even mm. though I may not have written most of that code, uh, every time that he submits codes, I go through it to make sure that it follows the patterns that um, I've wanted and so that makes it very easy for me to translate it to the next guy because uh, I don't need to you know take the time for me to reorientate myself or I don't mm. need to take that much time and I can tell him hey follow this same set of rules that I've given the other guy uh, after the first few PRs right he will know exactly what I want and uh, then you can move on from there yeah how about requirement so the requirement is using the product requirement is using that technique that you shared with me right the yeah. user flow. Oh, so they are used to it already. Exactly. So oh. the most co- uh, most recent one, right? I taught yeah. uh, a couple of interns, in fact, okay. <laughs> in the company to uh, do the wire flows in a way that um, I needed them because mm. I was going to help them with the development. So uh, I told them, here are the requirements that I have and here is how I would like you to do it. Try this first flow. Then they did it, and then I was like, okay, uh, this is unclear, this is unclear, you should do it this way instead. And then by the time they did it, the second flow, it was even better. It was like 90% there. And then oh, by the third okay. time they did it, they were following exactly the same techniques that I had given them before. Mm. Yeah. I think I think the plus part, um, yeah, I'm going to try it. I was not able to try it in my current organization, going to try it elsewhere. <laughs> I think in the... A large organization might be hard to push through this kind of new uh, concept. But uh, yep. in a startup, right, it's easier to uh, have this kind of concept being tested out. And I think when I first look at the design, um, which is the uh, user stories together with the requirement coming together, right, actually it's quite smart, right? It saves a lot of time and uh, quite straightforward. I see this, I know the button needs to go uh, mm. perform this function. Yeah. It's a, the main thing I was going for is that it has to be easy to maintain mm. because the biggest problem that all of us have as product managers, right, is that once we document something, it becomes this wall of text that no one ever reads again mm. or reviews. And yeah, the visual part of it makes it easier to maintain because you just follow through. Well, I, I would talk about like um, doing it with the engineers. Then we also talk about like creating the user flow together. Yeah. But how, how about maintaining it? Right. Mm-hmm. So, for example, uh, in the PRDs the, that we might write, uh, product requirement documents that we write, we go in, we change the, some, let's say, 2.3, some parts of the documents, uh, some pointers, and we highlight to the engineers, we change already. And um, uh, maybe for the next product managers coming in, taking over, we can just show them the whole uh, documents and they can read. Uh, yeah. So how, how would you think you were, for, for your concept, right? How do you manage it for, in terms yeah. of, yeah. So the key thing to that uh, I enforce there is that every document has to be a living document, mm. meaning that if you do update it, right, you update it and you add a comment to the original document, meaning you don't make ever a copy or you don't duplicate information between two places. So 
Single source of truth. Correct. Single source of truth. So even for um, the way that the wire flows are done, you notice that they are always done on an epic level. And then mm. it can be then broken down into user stories. Mm. Uh, these user stories all link back to the same epic, which will then have the wire flow and the original PRD embedded there. The user stories themselves will only contain acceptance criteria, but it will never contain a description of mm. how the particular flow is. Because one thing I realized was, yes, it would be nice to break it down, but then when you have to update the flow as a whole, you need to update in two places. You need to update in the original epic and you need mm. to update in the user stories. So I always enforce that if you want to understand how this user story works, refer to the PRD epic. that's attached oh. to the epic. Correct. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. And all of it has to be embedded rather than you know a snapshot or image. Embedded. So what are you using now? Miro, M-I-R-O. Oh, yeah, the yeah. tool. Yeah, and yeah. Miro can be embedded into either Confluence, which is one of the more uh, common tools, I guess, mm -hmm. used by startups, uh, or the one that I'm using right now, which is ClickUp, which is kind uh. of like my favorite productivity tool at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you can do things like Trello board, Kanban board, Timeline, and all. I yes. haven't explored that too. Yeah. yeah. So it's a lot closer to, it's kind of a combination of um, Asana and Jira, I would say. Oh, have you tried Monday? I also have I have tried, tried Monday. Uh, so uh. initially, uh, almost one year back, right, I was evaluating a bunch of productivity tools for SensorFlow. Mm. And mm. Uh, we almost decided on Monday, right? But then um, I, told, um, I told my CTO, I was like, wait, let me go and test out these other tools first with these requirements because <laughs> I'm 100% sure that Monday will get in our way after oh. Yeah, so because Monday is a great like um, task tracking tool, but it's not mm. good for the kind of dependencies, the complexities that we have as an engineering team because mm -hmm. there is a timeline dependency, but there are also uh, specification dependencies that we need to um, kind of cater for. Right, so that's when I first came across ClickUp, and that's when I did the entire evaluation, and that's where I really found the power of its automations and its uh, ability to kind of shape the data in a way. It's a very, very new product. I think oh. it only came out like February last year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so when are you going to? Because this is this this playbook, right? So, you are are you like writing the playbook out and? Uh... <laughs> Uh, I actually wrote the majority of the product side of it already. And recently, in the last couple of months, I've been doing a lot more on the engineering side. So, um, can do a course. <laughs> I, that's actually like the main thing that I want to do uh, as part of the podcast, as part of the course, right? Um, mm. Now that I have this uh, playbook and it mm. can apply to any tool, um, my plan was to uh, kind of create a tutorial on how do you apply this in ClickUp. Mm -mm -mm. and then I'll start from there but then also kind of share like if you want to apply this in other tools you can it's just that you will have to figure around. out yeah. yeah correct figure out how it maps over to the other tools yeah. uh, cool 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 yeah so that's hopefully going to be a series on your YouTube channel <laughs> my YouTube channel still growing and talking about YouTube channel I want to talk about OKRs I think yeah. uh, it's one well, yeah so anyway so I was re reading uh segue into this uh, OKR topic. I was reading this book called What Matters. I think, um, oh, I've been reading a lot of books, right? They must be wondering, wow, I can read a lot of books. Because I bought a new ebook reader. Uh, oh. It's Kobo. Uh, and it types to the NLB. Then I don't right. need to buy books. I just 
yeah, borrow the ebooks from uh, nice. NLB. Uh, so anyway, I was uh, what matters talks about uh, how Google use OKR to uh, I mean to set their to pursue their goals and hit their objective. Right, I thought quite cool. Um, so try to set it for my own YouTube channel. Hmm. So I I've been uh, so I think once I set the uh, objective right, I become very focused. So for example, yeah. uh, my my objective was one thousand sub. Uh, for the YouTube channel by uh, by December, so the key results I I give two key results. Uh, I never do three. I just do two. One is um, I make sure that every Friday I deliver uh, a video. That means one week uh, I must have at least one. Right. Um, the reason is because if I miss out one, then my motivation will drop off very fast. Right. Yeah. Then the uh, second part was to. Uh, when I do the video, uh, I also want to make sure that my uh, because I know that the viewers are very concerned on like you know things like lighting, things like uh, the the technical issues that we had just now like mic and all. Uh, I also make sure that uh, all these are in working orders, and this this is the second part. That means uh, keeping the video uh, short, clear, and uh, and concise. So yeah, so these are the two things I set for myself. I think there are a lot more things to learn about setting uh, OKR because it's not just, I don't think I am able to catch it in the first time, but it certainly helps me to focus a lot better. That means, oh, I know I must have that video. I know I am going for the 1000 sub. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, and actually that's interesting because today I just had a conversation with a team about like the leading and um, lagging indicators. Oh, yeah. so uh, uh, leading and lagging indicators for own performance or for the company metric? Uh, so remember earlier I was mentioning that uh, we were looking at how do we track the metrics for team happiness but also um, the team's performance, right? Yes. Uh, so one of the concepts that the DOP Oh, sorry, the DOE uh, brought up was um, leading and lagging indicators and how we need to have a mix of both. Mm. So, uh, for example, your goal is to hit a thousand subscribers, right? Mm. So your lagging indicator is the number of subscribers that you um, have total, right? That's mm. kind of like the clear metric you need to track. That's the end goal, yeah. Correct. Um, yeah. But also on top of that, you can say like, oh, you know, what's my rate of new subscribers every video? Oh. Right? Because that's still lagging because you can't really, you only see it after they've subscribed. So that's why it's always lagging, right? Because mm. that leads to that. But your leading indicator is that you said that you needed to post up a video once a week in order mm. for you to hit this. And if you don't hit that leading indicator, there's mm. no way that your lagging indicator will ever hit anyway. Right? Oh. But the one video a week doesn't guarantee or isn't directly going to give you the subs, but you know that you need to do it because it's kind of like a dependency. Yeah. Mm. Then if oh, you can, oh. yeah, if you can say like, okay, if I do once a week, right, and I seem to be on track to hit 500, then what if I do two a week? And then oh. I said, that's the new leading indicator because now you've noticed that if you hit this leading indicator in this way, you know what the kind of like estimated Oh, learn something. Yeah. Must write down. Wait, uh. I got my ball here. Always ready <laughs> to write down stuff. Yeah, so so like the leading and the lagging indicator actually is a very um, good way to think about your metrics. It's almost like the yeah. next level of an OKR. Yeah. Wait, quite cool, huh, this one? Hey. So that's like, thank you, Sunny, for bringing it up because I never really thought about it that way. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Wow, this is really good. Yeah. So in your yeah, in one of your topic, you were talking about the personal OKR. Was yeah. this the one? 
Oh, so, so uh, yes and no. So I've been actually applying the OKR things to my own um, kind of like personal growth. And mm. this was an idea that one of my previous bosses, George, uh, actually mm. gave me because he uh, is very kind of like data-driven and the kind of person who's like super good at optimizing his life, right? All about <laughs> so hacking. Really like, yeah, 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 in a way, in a way. So he's like the person who would... Um, who really got me into thinking about drinking like the liquid diet kind of thing okay. to save time and all that. <laughs> uh, and also like weight building and stuff. He works for Ritual and um, mm. he was, I one of he's the lead product person there. I can't remember his exact title anymore, but he's really, really good at being very focused about what the real goal is, regardless mm. of, you know, like all the noise that happens around. Mm. Um, so yeah, one thing that he does is apply like, OKRs to his own life where he says like okay I want to read this number of books this quarter Mm. Um, and yeah I tried to apply that and um, until I think earlier this year uh, it kind of dropped off for me because I got really busy when I first joined Sensorflow but then recently Mm. I've been starting to be able to apply it to myself again and um, it is coming to the end of the quarter we've got I think two more days in this quarter Mm -hmm. (laughs) so like my personal OKRs wise I hit quite a few but I didn't hit uh, some of those are headset. So it's a good indicator of like how I spend my time. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it really helps me to focus and put things into perspective. Uh, I think most importantly is, uh, is this part of my objective for the quarter? If it's not, then, uh, then, then I don't put it into my to-do list and all this stuff. Exactly. Quite useful. Yeah, it's just, um, I just think that the OKR, uh, like what you say, leading and lagging indicator, right, is always a, how, how do I put it? Uh, like, like for me, I, I don't think I set it well. Uh, there are rooms for improvement. Uh, and so it's just an iterating process on setting the uh, OKR itself. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. And I think then, the good... uh, Sorry, sorry. Go I ahead. was going to say, I think that's the good thing about OKRs because... Um, when you feel like you haven't hit it properly, right? Or you feel like you haven't done the uh, goal properly, you know exactly how much or mm. like what was kind of wrong because you have those indicators there. Oh, yeah. one last thing. I, I, I know you're rushed for time. I saw for OKR, how aggressive or how ambitious do you set it? Because uh, no, we, we, we shouldn't set it too easy. Then we hit it and it's like bluff ourselves. Like if we set it too hard, then we feel, wow, it's so hard to reach. Yeah. Then, you know, so for, for yourself, like how do you, right. for me, I set 1,000 when my subscriber was 23. I right. set it kind of like ambitious because I hope right. that, you know, if I really, really cannot make it, maybe I get 800. Okay. How so, about you? So yeah. This is where I disagree with all the consultants and the people, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yes, you need to be ambitious with your goals, right? But for me, I set realistic goals. Oh, okay. So the idea of how do you determine realistic, right, is where do you want to be in three years, one year, right? Mm-hmm. And then after that, what does that mean for this quarter? Would you be on track if you were to do that? And a lot of that is like deciding for yourself or doing the research to understand what kind of trend you need to have in order to hit the long-term goals. Your long-term goals can be ambitious, right? But there's a specific reason why you want to say like hit um, let's just say like your one year goal for the YouTube channel is to hit uh, the 10,000 users mm. mark, which means that in the next few months, you need to see that growth to a thousand so that uh, over the next, like say nine months, 
you can get the ramp up to hit 10,000 because mm. 1 to 10 in 9 months is a 10x growth mm. which is a lot because you're going to have to figure out how to source these users, right? So mm-hmm. if you don't hit 1,000 this early on, you know that you have to shift your 10,000 back further. Mm. Yeah. So research for that is probably to look at how other um, YouTube channels that fit your profile had their growth happen. Mm. So I will always say that realistic growth is, uh, realistic goals are the key to setting proper OKRs. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. Not getting the right goals the first time is entirely fine. Right. You might be too ambitious, you might be too uh weak in a way. But mm. then the next time that you set it, it should be more realistic. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I think uh when I do it, uh I, I feel like it's a so right now I am for ambitious over realistic right now. That's I think one of the reasons is uh, uh maybe I'm still motivated to create the YouTube videos and all. Yeah. Uh, I think second thing for me is uh, kind of like pushing me. Is like, wow, it's still so far away. I I need to work harder towards that that uh, that mark. So All for right. me right now, uh, but I think I agree with you as a iterating process. The uh, maybe in the long run, average out right, it will reach a a point is more of a uh, realistic objective. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so just, just for to, your... yeah, like, like out of the 10 goals that I hit, right? Two of them yeah. are 0%. Uh, two of them I hit 100% and over. And then the rest are between 75% to 50%. Yeah. Oh, nice, nice. Is uh, building a wet, wet app within two weeks and not sleeping <laughs> one of the goals. <laughs> that one was extra. <laughs> uh, that one was extra out of the, uh, the goals that you set. So that's a uh, bonus. <laughs> yeah, like it was a test of my processes, like whether or not I could do it, right? So one mm-hmm. week to spec essentially with the interns and then two weeks to build. So that was, yeah. And it was um, tested, one, two, um, like launchable. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, did, did it something right, I guess? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it worked. <laughs> it worked. It worked. <laughs> yeah. Do you have, uh, I think so I want to leave it for the, we are going to do this by weekly, but I want to ask, uh, because you did your LASIK for about two months already. Yeah. Uh, but what you are doing is kind of like pushing it up uh, because uh, building a web app <laughs> in two weeks, you are also, you keep, you know, looking at the monitors and all. But I think yeah. that's okay. Uh, but I ask you this like question. Like yeah. Like a few days I was using the VR set to do my coding. Yeah, and, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, using this. I think uh, this should be the topic, like you know, uh, when we check back, you know, uh, next week or I don't know, next week, bi-weekly, check back yeah. on my YouTube status, then also see how are you coding with your VR headset. Yeah, absolutely. I think that'd be a great topic to talk about, actually. <laughs> also, <laughs> I ordered the next Oculus Quest already, so hopefully that will be coming. Oh, when, when is it coming? When is it coming? Uh, so. The official launch date, I believe, is October 12th. Uh, based on the Amazon order, it should come maybe four or five days after. So we'll see. We'll see. Oh, happening. We are coding. Okay. Just nice, just nice. 6 right. to, yeah, <laughs> to go, But that was fun. Uh, yeah. we, we, we need to do this, uh, but we need to bring back the momentum. Uh, we set this as an OKR. <laughs> yeah, cannot miss. <laughs> Than one. <laughs> yeah, no, cannot, cannot, cannot miss, cannot miss. Miss very hard already. Okay, okay. That's it.
All right, cheers. Bye. Bye bye.